Part four of Vindication of the Rights of Men by Mary Wollstonecraft. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It follows then immediately from your own reasoning that respect and love are antagonist principles, and that if we really wish to render men more virtuous, we must endeavor to banish all enervating modifications of beauty from civil society we must to carry your argument a little further return to the spartan regulation and settle the virtues of men on the stern foundation of mortification and self-denial for any attempt to civilize the heart to make it humane by implanting reasonable principles is a mere philosophic dream if refinement inevitably lessens respect for virtue by rendering beauty the grand tempter more seductive if these relaxing feelings are incompatible with the nervous exertions of morality the sun of europe is not set it begins to dawn when cold metaphysicians try to make the head give laws to the heart but should experience prove that there is a beauty in virtue a charm in order which necessarily implies exertion a depraved sensual taste may give way to a more manly one and melting feelings to rational satisfactions both may be equally natural to man the test is their moral difference and that point reason alone can decide such a glorious change can only be produced by liberty inequality of rank must ever impede the growth of virtue by vitiating the mind that submits or domineers that is ever employed to procure nourishment for the body or amusement for the mind and if this grand example be set by an assembly of unlettered clowns if they can produce a crisis that may involve the fate of europe and more than europe you must allow us to respect unsophisticated reason and reverence the active exertions that were not relaxed by a fastidious respect for the beauty of rank or a dread of the deformity produced by any void in the social structure after your contemptuous manner of speaking of the national assembly after descanting on the coarse vulgarity of their proceedings which according to your own definition of virtue is a proof of its genuineness was it not a little inconsistent not to say absurd to assert that a dozen people of quality were not a sufficient counterpoise to the vulgar mob with whom they condescended to associate have we half a dozen leaders of eminence in our house of commons or even in the fashionable world yet the sheep obsequiously pursue their steps with all the undeviating sagacity of instinct in order that liberty should have a firm foundation an acquaintance with the world would naturally lead cool men to conclude that it must be laid knowing the weakness of the human heart and the deceitfulness of riches either by poor men or philosophers if a sufficient number of men disinterested from principle or truly wise could be found was it natural to expect that sensual prejudices should give way to reason or present feelings to enlarged views no i am afraid that human nature is still in such a weak state 
that the abolition of titles the cornerstone of despotism could only have been the work of men who had no titles to sacrifice the national assembly it is true contains some honourable exceptions but the majority had not such powerful feelings to struggle with when reason led them to respect the naked dignity of virtue weak minds are always timid and what can equal the weakness of mind produced by servile flattery and the vapid pleasures that neither hope nor fear seasoned had the constitution of france been new modelled or more cautiously repaired by the lovers of elegance and beauty it is natural to suppose that the imagination would have erected a fragile temporary building or the power of one tyrant divided amongst a hundred might have rendered the struggle for liberty only a choice of masters and the glorious chance that is now given to human nature of attaining more virtue and happiness than has hitherto blessed our globe might have been sacrificed to a meteor of the imagination a bubble of passion the ecclesiastics indeed would probably have remained in quiet possession of their sinecures and your gall might not have been mixed with your ink on account of the daring sacrilege that brought them more on a level the nobles would have had bowels for their younger sons if not for the misery of their fellow-creatures an august mass of property would have been transmitted to posterity to guard the temple of superstition and prevent reason from entering with her officious light and the pomp of religion would have continued to impress the senses if she were unable to subjugate the passions is hereditary weakness necessary to render religion lovely and will her form have lost the smooth delicacy that inspires love when stripped of its gothic drapery must every grand model be placed on the pedestal of property and is there no beauteous proportion in virtue when not clothed in a sensuous garb of these questions there would be no end though they lead to the same conclusion that your politics and morals when simplified would undermine religion and virtue to set up a spurious sensual beauty that has long debauched your imagination under the specious form of natural feelings and what is this mighty revolution in property the present incumbents only are injured or the hierarchy of the clergy an ideal part of the constitution which you have personified to render your affection most tender how has posterity been injured by a distribution of the property snatched perhaps from innocent hands but accumulated by the most abominable violation of every sentiment of justice and piety was the monument of former ignorance and iniquity to be held sacred to enable the present possessors of enormous benefices to dissolve in indolent pleasures was not their convenience for they have not been turned adrift in the world to give place to a just partition of the land belonging to the state and did not the respect due to the natural quality of man require this triumph over monkish rapacity 
were those monsters to be reverenced on account of their antiquity and their unjust claims perpetuated to their ideal children the clergy merely to preserve the sacred majesty of property inviolate and to enable the church to retain her pristine splendor can posterity be injured by individuals losing the chance of obtaining great wealth without meriting it by its being diverted from a narrow channel and disembogued into the sea that affords clouds to water all the land besides the clergy not brought up with the expectation of great revenues will not feel the loss and if bishops should happen to be chosen on account of their personal merit religion may be benefited by the vulgar nomination the sophistry of asserting that nature leads us to reverence our civil institutions from the same principle that we venerate aged individuals is a palpable fallacy that is so like truth it will serve the turn as well and when you add that we have chosen our nature rather than our speculations our breasts rather than our inventions the pretty jargon seems equally unintelligible but it was the downfall of the visible power and dignity of the church that roused your ire you could have excused a little squeezing of the individuals to supply present exigencies the actual possessors of the property might have been oppressed with something like impunity if the church had not been spoiled of its gaudy trappings you love the church your country and its laws you repeatedly tell us because they deserve to be loved but from you this is not a panegyric weakness and indulgence are the only incitements to love and confidence that you can discern and it cannot be denied that the tender mother you venerate deserves on this score all your affection it would be as vain a task to attempt to obviate all your passionate objections as to unravel all your plausible arguments often illustrated by known truths and rendered forcible by pointed invectives i only attack the foundation on the natural principles of justice i build my plea for disseminating the property artfully said to be appropriated to religious purposes but in reality to support idle tyrants amongst the society whose ancestors were cheated or forced into illegal grants can there be an opinion more subversive of morality than that time sanctifies crimes and silences the blood that calls out for retribution if not for vengeance if the revenue annexed to the gallic church was greater than the most bigoted protestant would now allow to be its reasonable share would it not have been trampling on the right of men to perpetuate such an arbitrary appropriation of the common stock because time had rendered the fraudulent seizure venerable besides if reason had suggested as surely she must if the imagination had not been allowed to dwell on the fascinating pomp of ceremonial grandeur that the clergy would be rendered both more virtuous and useful by being put more on a par with each other and the mass of the people it was their duty to instruct where was there room for hesitation the charge of presumption thrown by you on the most reasonable innovations may without any violence to truth 
be retorted on every reformation that has meliorated our condition and even on the improvable faculty that gives us a claim to the preeminence of intelligent beings plausibility i know can only be unmasked by showing the absurdities it glosses over and the simple truths it involves with specious errors eloquence has often confounded triumphant villainy but it is probable that it has more frequently rendered the boundary that separates virtue and vice doubtful poisons may be only medicines in judicious hands but they should not be administered by the ignorant because they have sometimes seen great cures performed by their powerful aid the many sensible remarks and pointed observations which you have mixed with opinions that strike at our dearest interests fortify those opinions and give them a degree of strength that render them formidable to the wise and convincing to the superficial it is impossible to read half a dozen pages of your book without admiring your ingenuity or indignantly spurning your sophisms words are heaped on words till the understanding is confused by endeavouring to disentangle the sense and the memory by tracing contradictions after observing a host of these contradictions it can scarcely be a breach of charity to think that you have often sacrificed your sincerity to enforce your favourite arguments and called in your judgment to adjust the arrangement of words that could not convey its dictates a fallacy of this kind i think could not have escaped you when you were treating the subject that called forth your bitterest animadversions the confiscation of the ecclesiastical revenue who of the vindicators of the rights of men ever ventured to assert that the clergy of the present day should be punished on account of the intolerable pride and inhumane cruelty of many of their predecessors no such a thought never entered the mind of those who warred with inveterate prejudices a desperate disease required a powerful remedy injustice had no right to rest on prescription nor has the character of the present clergy any weight in the argument you find it very difficult to separate policy from justice in the political world they have frequently been separated with shameful dexterity to mention a recent instance according to the limited views of timid or interested politicians an abolition of the infernal slave trade would not only be unsound policy but a flagrant infringement of the laws which are allowed to have been infamous that induced the planters to purchase their estates but is it not consonant with justice with the common principles of humanity not to mention christianity to abolish this abominable mischief there is not one argument one invective levelled by you at the confiscators of the church revenue which could not with the strictest propriety be applied by the planters and negro drivers to our parliament if it gloriously dared to show the world that british senators were men if the natural feelings of humanity silenced the cold cautions of timidity till this stigma on our nature was wiped off and all men were allowed to enjoy their birthright 
liberty till by their crimes they had authorized society to deprive them of the blessing they had abused the same arguments might be used in india if any attempt were made to bring back things to nature to prove that a man ought never to quit the caste that confined him to the profession of his lineal forefathers the brahmins would doubtless find many ingenious reasons to justify this debasing though venerable prejudice and would not it is to be supposed forget to observe that time by interweaving the oppressive law with many useful customs had rendered it for the present very convenient and consequently legal almost every vice that has degraded our nature might be justified by showing that it had been productive of some benefit to society for it would be as difficult to point out positive evil as unallayed good in this imperfect state what indeed would become of morals if they had no other test than prescription the manners of men may change without end but wherever reason receives the least cultivation wherever men rise above brutes morality must rest on the same base and the more man discovers of the nature of his mind and body the more clearly he is convinced that to act according to the dictates of reason is to conform to the law of god the test of honour may be arbitrary and fallacious and retiring into subterfuge elude close inquiry but true morality shuns not the day nor shrinks from the ordeal of investigation most of the happy revolutions that have taken place in the world have happened when weak princes held the reins they could not manage but are they on that account to be canonized as saints or demigods and pushed forward to notice on the throne of ignorance pleasure wants a zest if experience cannot compare it with pain but who courts pain to heighten his pleasures a transient view of society will further illustrate arguments which appear so obvious that i am almost ashamed to produce illustrations how many children have been taught economy and many other virtues by the extravagant thoughtlessness of their parents yet a good education is allowed to be an inestimable blessing the tenderest mothers are often the most unhappy wives but can the good that accrues from the private distress that produces a sober dignity of mind justify the inflictor right or wrong may be estimated according to the point of sight and other adventitious circumstances but to discover its real nature the inquiry must go deeper than the surface and beyond the local consequences that confound good and evil together the rich and weak a numerous train will certainly applaud your system and loudly celebrate your pious reverence for authority and establishments they find it pleasanter to enjoy than to think to justify oppression than correct abuses the rights of men are grating sounds that set their teeth on edge the impertinent inquiry of philosophic meddling innovation if the poor are in distress they will make some benevolent exertions to assist them they will confer obligations but not do justice 
benevolence is a very amiable specious quality yet the aversion which men feel to accept a right as a favour should rather be extolled as a vestige of native dignity than stigmatized as the odious offspring of ingratitude the poor consider the rich as their lawful prey but we ought not too severely to animadvert on their ingratitude when they receive an alms they are commonly grateful at the moment but old habits quickly return and cunning has ever been a substitute for force that both physical and moral evil were not only foreseen but entered into the scheme of providence when this world was contemplated in the divine mind who can doubt without robbing omnipotence of a most exalted attribute but the business of the life of a good man should be to separate light from darkness to diffuse happiness whilst he submits to unavoidable misery and a conviction that there is much unavoidable wretchedness appointed by the grand disposer of all events should not slacken his exertions the extent of what is possible can only be discerned by god the justice of god may be vindicated by a belief in a future state but only by believing that evil is educing good for the individual and not for an imaginary whole the happiness of the whole must arise from the happiness of the constituent parts or the essence of justice is sacrificed to a supposed grand arrangement and that may be good for the whole of a creature's existence that disturbs the comfort of a small portion the evil which an individual suffers for the good of the community is partial it must be allowed if the account is settled by death but the partial evil which it suffers during one stage of existence to render another stage more perfect is strictly just the father of all only can regulate the education of his children to suppose that during the whole or part of his existence the happiness of any individual is sacrificed to promote the welfare of ten or ten thousand other beings is impious but to suppose that the happiness or animal enjoyment of one portion of existence is sacrificed to improve and ennoble the being itself and render it capable of more perfect happiness is not to reflect on either the goodness or wisdom of god it may be confidently asserted that no man chooses evil because it is evil he only mistakes it for happiness the good he seeks and the desire of rectifying these mistakes is the ambition of an enlightened understanding the impulse of feelings that philosophy invigorates to endeavour to make unhappy men resigned to their fate is the tender endeavour of short-sighted benevolence of transient yearnings of humanity but to labour to increase human happiness by extirpating error is a masculine godlike affection this remark may be carried still further men who possess uncommon sensibility whose quick emotions show how closely the eye and heart are connected soon forget the most forcible sensations not tarrying long enough in the brain to be subject to reflection the next sensations of course obliterate them memory however treasures up these proofs of native goodness 
and the being who is not spurred on to any virtuous act still thinks itself of consequence and boasts of its feelings why because the sight of distress or an affecting narrative made its blood flow with more velocity and the heart literally speaking beat with sympathetic emotion we ought to beware of confounding mechanical instinctive sensations with emotions that reason deepens and justly terms the feelings of humanity this word discriminates the active exertions of virtue from the vague declamation of sensibility the declaration of the national assembly when they recognized the rights of men was calculated to touch the humane heart the downfall of the clergy to agitate the pupil of impulse on the watch to find fault faults met your prying eye a different preposition might have produced a different conviction when we read a book that supports our favorite opinions how eagerly do we suck in the doctrines and suffer our minds placidly to reflect the images that illustrate the tenets we have previously embraced we indolently acquiesce in the conclusion and our spirit animates and corrects the various subjects but when on the contrary we peruse a skilful writer with whom we do not coincide in opinion how attentive is the mind to detect fallacy and this suspicious coolness often prevents our being carried away by a stream of natural eloquence which the prejudiced mind terms declamation a pomp of words we never allow ourselves to be warmed and after contending with the writer are more confirmed in our opinion as much perhaps from a spirit of contradiction as from reason a lively imagination is ever in danger of being betrayed into error by favorite opinions which it almost personifies the more effectually to intoxicate the understanding always tending to extremes truth is left behind in the heat of the chase and things are viewed as positively good or bad though they wear an equivocable face some celebrated writers have supposed that wit and judgment were incompatible opposite qualities that in a kind of elementary strife destroyed each other and many men of wit have endeavored to prove that they were mistaken much may be adduced by wits and metaphysicians on both sides of the question but from experience i am apt to believe that they do weaken each other and that great quickness of comprehension and facile association of ideas naturally preclude profundity of research wit is often a lucky hit the result of a momentary inspiration we know not whence it comes and it blows where it lists the operations of judgment on the contrary are cool and circumspect and coolness and deliberation are great enemies to enthusiasm if wit is of so fine a spirit that it almost evaporates when translated into another language why may not the temperature have an influence over it this remark may be thought derogatory to the inferior qualities of the mind but it is not a hasty one and i mention it as a prelude to a conclusion i have frequently drawn that the cultivation of reason damps fancy 
the blessings of heaven lie on each side we must choose if we wish to attain any degree of superiority and not lose our lives in laborious idleness if we mean to build our knowledge or happiness on a rational basis we must learn to distinguish the possible and not fight against the stream and if we are careful to guard ourselves from imaginary sorrows and vain fears we must also resign many enchanting illusions for shallow must be the discernment which fails to discover that raptures and ecstasies arise from error whether it will always be so is not now to be discussed suffice it to observe that truth is seldom arrayed by the graces and if she charms it is only by inspiring a sober satisfaction which takes its rise from a calm contemplation of proportion and simplicity but though it is allowed that one man has by nature more fancy than another in each individual there is a springtide when fancy should govern and amalgamate materials for the understanding and a grave period when those materials should be employed by the judgment for example i am inclined to have a better opinion of the heart of an old man who speaks of stern as his favourite author than of his understanding there are times and seasons for all things and moralists appear to me to err when they would confound the gaiety of youth with the seriousness of age for the virtues of age look not only more imposing but more natural when they appear rather rigid he who has not exercised his judgment to curb his imagination during the meridian of life becomes in its decline too often the prey of childish feelings age demands respect youth love if this order is disturbed the emotions are not pure and when love for a man in his general climacteric takes place of respect it generally speaking borders on contempt judgment is sublime wit beautiful and according to your own theory they cannot exist together without impairing each other's power the predominancy of the latter in your endless reflections should lead hasty readers to suspect that it may in a great degree exclude the former but among all your plausible arguments and witty illustrations your contempt for the poor always appears conspicuous and rouses my indignation the following paragraph in particular struck me as breathing the most tyrannic spirit and displaying the most factitious feelings good order is the foundation of all good things to be enabled to acquire the people without being servile must be tractable and obedient the magistrate must have his reverence the laws their authority the body of the people must not find the principles of natural subordination by art rooted out of their minds they must respect that property of which they cannot partake they must labour to obtain what by labour can be obtained and when they find as they commonly do the success disproportioned to the endeavour they must be taught their consolation in the final proportions of eternal justice of this consolation whoever deprives them deadens their industry and strikes at the root of all acquisition as of all conservation 
he that does this is the cruel oppressor the merciless enemy of the poor and wretched at the same time that by his wicked speculations he exposes the fruits of successful industry and the accumulation of fortune ah there's the rub to the plunder of the negligent the disappointed and the unprosperous this is contemptible hard-hearted sophistry in the specious form of humility and submission to the will of heaven it is sir possible to render the poor happier in this world without depriving them of the consolation which you gratuitously grant them in the next they have a right to more comfort than they at present enjoy and more comfort might be afforded them without encroaching on the pleasures of the rich not now waiting to inquire whether the rich have any right to exclusive pleasures what do i say encroaching no if an intercourse were established between them it would impart the only true pleasure that can be snatched in this land of shadows this hard school of moral discipline i know indeed that there is often something disgusting in the distresses of poverty at which the imagination revolts and starts back to exercise itself in the more attractive arcadia of fiction the rich man builds a house art and taste give it the highest finish his gardens are planted and the trees grow to recreate the fancy of the planter though the temperature of the climate may rather force him to avoid the dangerous damps they exhale than seek the umbrageous retreat everything on the estate is cherished but man yet to contribute to the happiness of man is the most sublime of all enjoyments but if instead of sweeping pleasure-grounds obelisks temples and elegant cottages as objects for the eye the heart was allowed to beat true to nature decent farms would be scattered over the estate and plenty smile around instead of the poor being subject to the griping hand of an avaricious steward they would be watched over with fatherly solicitude by the man whose duty and pleasure it was to guard their happiness and shield from rapacity beings who by the sweat of their brow exalted him above his fellows i could almost imagine i see a man thus gathering blessings as he mounted the hill of life or consolation in these days when the spirits lag and the tired heart finds no pleasure in them it is not by squandering alms that the poor can be relieved or improved it is the fostering son of kindness the wisdom that finds them employments calculated to give them habits of virtue that meliorates their condition love is only the fruit of love condescension and authority may produce the obedience you applaud but he has lost his heart of flesh who can see a fellow-creature humbled before him and trembling at the frown of a being whose heart is supplied by the same vital current and whose pride ought to be checked by a consciousness of having the same infirmities what salutary dews might not be shed to refresh this thirsty land if men were more enlightened smiles and premiums might encourage cleanliness industry and emulation 
a garden more inviting than eden would then meet the eye and springs of joy murmur on every side the clergyman would superintend his own flock the shepherd would then love the sheep he daily tended the school might rear its decent head and the buzzing tribe let loose to play impart a portion of their vivacious spirits to the heart that longed to open their minds and lead them to taste the pleasures of men domestic comfort the civilizing relations of husband brother and father would soften labor and render life contented returning once from a despotic country to a part of england well cultivated but not very picturesque with what delight did i not observe the poor man's garden the homely palings and twining woodbine with all the rustic contrivances of simple unlettered taste was a sight which relieved the eye that had wandered indignant from the stately palace to the pestiferous hovel and returned from the awful contrast into itself to mourn the fate of man and cursed the arts of civilization why cannot large estates be divided into small farms these dwellings would indeed grace our land why are huge forests still allowed to stretch out with idle pomp and all the indolence of eastern grandeur why does the brown waste meet the traveller's view when men want work but commons cannot be enclosed without acts of parliament to increase the property of the rich why might not the industrious peasant be allowed to steal a farm from the heath this sight i have seen the cow that supported the children grazed near the hut and the cheerful poultry were fed by the chubby babies who breathed a bracing air far from the diseases and vices of cities domination blasts all these prospects virtue can only flourish amongst equals and the man who submits to a fellow-creature because it promotes his worldly interest and he who relieves only because it is his duty to lay up a treasure in heaven are much on a par for both are radically degraded by the habits of their life in this great city that proudly rears its head and boasts of its population and commerce how much misery lurks in pestilential corners whilst idle mendicants assail on every side the man who hates to encourage importers or repress with angry frowns the plaints of the poor how many mechanics by a flux of trade or fashion lose their employment whom misfortunes not to be warded off lead to the idleness that vitiates their character and renders them afterwards averse to honest labour where is the eye that marks these evils more gigantic than any of the infringements of property which you piously deprecate are these remediless evils and is the humane heart satisfied with turning the poor over to another world to receive the blessings this can afford if society was regulated on a more enlarged plan if man was contented to be the friend of man and did not seek to bury the sympathies of humanity in the servile appellation of master if turning his eyes from ideal regions of taste and elegance he laboured to give the earth he inhabited all the beauty it is capable of receiving and was ever on the watch to shed abroad all the happiness which human nature can enjoy 
he who respecting the rights of men wishes to convince or persuade society that this is true happiness and dignity is not the cruel oppressor of the poor nor a short-sighted philosopher he fears god and loves his fellow-creatures behold the whole duty of man the citizen who acts differently is a sophisticated being surveying civilized life and seeing with undazzled eye the polished vices of the rich their insincerity want of natural affections with all the specious train that luxury introduces i have turned impatiently to the poor to look for man undebauched by riches or power but alas what did i see a being scarcely above the brutes over which he tyrannized a broken spirit worn-out body and all those gross vices which the examples of the rich rudely copied could produce envy built a wall of separation that made the poor hate whilst they bent to their superiors who on their part stepped aside to avoid the loathsome sight of human misery what were the outrages of a day to these continued miseries let those sorrows hide their diminished head before the tremendous mountain of woe that thus defaces our globe man preys on man and you mourn for the idle tapestry that decorated a gothic pile and the dronish bell that summoned the fat priest to prayer you mourn for the empty pageant of a name when slavery flaps her wing and the sick heart retires to die in lonely wilds far from the abodes of men did the pangs you felt for insulted nobility the anguish that rent your heart when the gorgeous robes were torn off the idle human weakness had set up deserve to be compared with the long-drawn sigh of melancholy reflection when misery and vice are thus seen to haunt our steps and swim on the top of every cheering prospect why is our fancy to be appalled by terrific perspectives of a hell beyond the grave hell stalks abroad the lash resounds on the slave's naked sides and the sick wretch who can no longer earn the sour bread of unremitting labour steals to a ditch to bid the world a long good-night or neglected in some ostentatious hospital breathes his last amidst the laugh of mercenary attendants such misery demands more than tears i pause to recollect myself and smother the contempt i feel rising for your rhetorical flourishes and infantine sensibility taking a retrospective view of my hasty answer and casting a cursory glance over your reflections i perceive that i have not alluded to several reprehensible passages in your elaborate work which i marked for censure when i first perused it with a steady eye and now i find it almost impossible candidly to refute your sophisms without quoting your own words and putting the numerous contradictions i observed in opposition to each other this would be an effectual refutation but after such a tedious drudgery i fear that i should only be read by the patient eye that scarcely wanted my assistance to detect the flagrant errors 
it would be a tedious process to show that often the most just and forcible illustrations are warped to color over opinions you must sometimes have secretly despised or at least have discovered that which you asserted without limitation required the greatest some subjects of exaggeration may have been superficially viewed depth of judgment is perhaps incompatible with the predominant features of your mind your reason may have often been the dupe of your imagination but say did you not sometimes angrily bid her be still when she whispered that you were departing from strict truth or when assuming the awful form of conscience and only smiling at the vagaries of vanity did she not austerely bid you recollect your own errors before you lifted the avenging stone did she not sometimes wave her hand when you poured forth a torrent of shining sentences and beseech you to concatenate them plainly telling you that the impassioned eloquence of the heart was calculated rather to affect than dazzle the reader whom it hurried along to conviction did she not anticipate the remark of the wise who drink not at a shallow sparkling dream and tell you that they would discover when with the dignity of sincerity you supported an opinion that only appeared to you with one face or when superannuated vanity made you torture your invention but i forbear i have before animadverted on our method of electing representatives convinced that it debauches both the morals of the people and the candidates without rendering the member really responsible or attached to his constituents but amongst your other contradictions you blame the national assembly for expecting any exertions from the servile principle of responsibility and afterwards insult them for not rendering themselves responsible whether the one the french have adopted will answer the purpose better and be more than a shadow of representation time only can show in theory it appears more promising your real or artificial affection for the english constitution seems to me to resemble the brutal affection of some weak characters they think it a duty to love their relations with a blind indolent tenderness that will not see the faults it might assist to correct if their affection had been built on rational grounds they love they know not why and they will love to the end of the chapter it is absolute blasphemy to doubt of the omnipotence of the law or to suppose that religion might be more pure if there were fewer baits for hypocrites in the church but our manners you tell us are drawn from the french though you had before celebrated our native plainness if they were it is time we broke loose from dependence time that englishmen drew water from their own springs or if manners are not a painted substitute for morals we have only to cultivate our reason and we shall not feel the want of an arbitrary model nature will suffice but i forget myself nature and reason according to your system are all to give place to authority and the gods as shakespeare makes a frantic wretch exclaim seem to kill us for their sport as men do flies before i conclude my cursory remarks it is but just 
to acknowledge that i coincide with you in your opinion respecting the sincerity of many modern philosophers your consistency in avowing a veneration for rank and riches deserves praise but i must own that i have often indignantly observed that some of the enlightened philosophers who talk most vehemently of the native rights of men borrow many noble sentiments to adorn their conversation which have no influence on their conduct they bow down to rank and are careful to secure property for virtue without this adventitious drapery is seldom very respectable in their eyes nor are they very quick-sighted to discern real dignity of character when no sounding names exalts the man above his fellows but neither open enmity nor the hollow homage destroys the intrinsic value of these principles which rest on an eternal foundation and revert for a standard to the immutable attributes of god end of part four end of vindication of the rights of men in a letter to the right honourable edmund burke occasioned by his reflections on the revolution in france by mary wollstonecraft